Hello, and welcome to Ronkel and the Mare. It's another cloudy day here in Portland, Oregon. Probably not going to rain, but getting cold again, which uh, without the rain means no snow here. But I think it's at least snowing up on Hood and over on Bachelor. Looking out the window right now, and there's two hummingbirds, uh, believe it or not, eating food out of the hummingbird theater. Uh, theater. Theater. <laughs> I w it's kind of a theater for me, actually. Um, let's see. This morning, went for a short walk after a rough night's sleep. Um, stayed up a little too late, drank a little too much coffee too late in the day. But uh, went for a quick walk around the, around the neighborhood. Ran into most of the usual suspects. And uh, noticed uh, an ongoing problem that, that drives me crazy. Um, dog poop in the winter. Uh, I think, uh, at least in the Northwest, and specifically my neighborhood, uh, people don't seem to want to pick up the poop, or they want to pick it up less than they ever did before. And I can understand not wanting to pick up dog poop, but if you want to have a dog, you got to pick up the dog poop. So I'm also dodging a lot of that, and I think I might have mentioned that before, but it's a uh, it's an ongoing issue, and it it's kind of a hazard, especially if it's dark. <laughs> um, you don't know what you're stepping in, so I've had to I've had to get uh, pretty limber, pretty tricky, uh, jumping over a few things. So um, I noticed uh, also another thing. You know, we've I've talked about. Uh, I feel like my health is better, um, of course, with some uh, exercise, with the walking specifically. And uh, not just my physical health, I feel like my mental health is better as well. Um, definitely after a walk, maybe sort of like a runner's high, I, I, I have a clear head. And uh, whatever stress I had is either gone or lessened. And uh, with continuous walking, um, I've noticed a lot of uh, clear-headed days. Um, better sleep at night, of course, because uh, less worry. So it's just brought some pretty good balance. And the other day, the uh, the head was feeling good. And this morning, I noticed even on my quick walk, and I was tired. It was uh, it was still nice. I got home and uh, headed uh, you know headed into whatever I was doing. Uh, again on my walk, I had a an encounter with a, a guy. Uh, we'll use his name. His name is Tex. He's sort of a neighborhood legend. Uh, he was out in front. Uh, he has a little job down at the pub. Uh, cleaning up and helping him get set up and so in the mornings I see him or I'll uh, greet him with the paper and uh, he saw me this morning and uh, he uh, yelled out my name and so I walked over and gave me a big hug and told me if I saw any problems in the neighborhood to give him a call and that I had his number and I said I sure do and so <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure exactly what he meant but uh, uh, it was well received and uh, he's he's a nice old guy um, don't run into him as often anymore, but I, I make a point of trying to hit his, uh, his little route between his house and his work, uh, so that maybe we can, uh, meet up briefly. Uh, he's fun to chat with. So, uh, you know, clear head, seeing text, the walks are, uh, still pretty good. Um, uh, the poop, definitely a hazard. Um, Part of the reason I did a short walk this morning was I had uh, some winter yard work. It's just inevitable. Uh, I have a I have a yard, and so I have to I have to do some yard work. So this morning I was uh, out there with the weed whacker at you know a little after 9 a.m. something like that, and uh, buzzing away. 
uh, trying to cut back some stuff that's been overgrown. I have a wildflower project uh, in uh, the, my this side of my yard, so it was time to time to get rid of the the weeds and the grasses that want to come in there and invade. So I was out there doing that. I pruned some hedges. Uh, I got this big extension device so I can reach up real high, let things go a little bit. So trying to cut them back down. But uh, boy, what an upper body workout that is using the extension clippers, uh, you know, 15 feet above over your head and uh, you're clipping away. And uh, my dad used to do that. Actually, he still does that. It's probably one of his favorite activities to uh, uh, trim a hedge. And uh, I can remember following him and cleaning up hedges thinking, I'm never going to have a hedge or any sort of yard work like this to, uh, to maintain. And I think famously my younger brother said that he was going to pave his, all of his yards when he grew up so that he didn't have any yard work to do, which of course is ridiculous. Uh, uh, we all have yards now. But uh, it's, it's funny to think about how much pain and agony I felt like we were being put through uh, helping rake up a few things. And uh, here I am at uh, nine in the morning, uh, you know, cold and uh, doing it myself. <laughs> so, uh, life just, uh, just keeps on, uh, just keeps on going, just keeps on repeating itself in funny ways. Um, don't have anything else to say about the morning, uh, walk report. Uh, it's been pretty, uh, pretty, pretty good other than, you know, the typical traffic and the, the dog poo, but, uh, the walks have been pretty good and there's not a lot of construction that's in my path right now. So that's, I mean, that's a plus. I hate having to jump across the street or use these weird little, uh, bridges they build out of plywood. Um, it doesn't, doesn't seem all that safe to me. So, all right, let's get into uh, today's topic. Um, thought we'd mix things up a little bit. Uh, one of my, one of my favorite things in life in, uh, or people our and subjects to talk about is uh, Wilt Chamberlain. Thought we'd get into him and uh, just get, you know, jump right into it. Wilt was uh, Wilt was dominant in his uh, NBA play, and uh, I thought we'd go over a few stats. Uh, so Wilt Chamberlain uh, checks in at seven one, two hundred and seventy five pounds. Uh, he's actually no longer with us. He died in nineteen ninety nine at sixty three years old. Uh, to his credit, he played for the uh, the Harlem Globetrotters after a fine career at Kansas. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit. He was a two-time NBA champion, a four-time MVP. He was the 1960 Rookie of the Year, seven-time scoring champ, 11-time rebounding champion. In 1968, he led the league in assists. His number 13 is retired by the Golden State Warriors, the 76ers, and the Lakers. 1961-62 season dominated on all fronts. He averaged 50.4 points per game, 25.7 rebounds, and 48.4 minutes per game, which means he averaged more minutes per game than there are in an actual game. So he played in overtime. So you, you couldn't get him off the court either. Availability is definitely one of the best attributes to dominate, and Wilt was definitely available. Uh he, he averaged 22 rebounds a game for his entire career. He had a larger-than-life ego. Of course, many people know he slept with tens of thousands of women, according to him. And uh, tough to argue, I guess. Uh, and he always seemed to be demanding respect for his greatness. He, he never seemed to think he got his due. And 
he did he did underachieve i guess if you're counting championships uh, bill russell got the best of him several times um but wilt chamberlain not not just uh his dominant 61 62 season he he dominated uh his entire career but for about a five-year period you know he he was averaging over 30 points and over 18 rebounds a game and nobody could stop him uh in fact they famously changed rules um to to stop Wilt, uh, they added the free throw line. Wilt Chamberlain used to just uh, run up. You could, you were allowed to leave your spot and dunk or lay it in, and Wilt would just dunk. So uh, he made all his shots. Uh, so they added the free throw line, made it a stationary shot. They changed the inbounding rules, and the uh, Wilt used to throw it up and over the backboard, or have people throw it up and over to him, where he would just catch it and dunk it in there. So they outlawed that. Now uh, you can't throw it up and over. Uh, they offset uh, the inbound uh, so that you, you can't throw. The angle is harder. So Wilt Chamberlain affected you know a lot of a lot of aspects. And then actually, at a famous dinner for the uh, 50 greatest players of all time, uh, an argument suddenly broke out at one of the tables, or voices got loud, and as uh, everybody turned and looked. Wilt Chamberlain stood up and he pointed his finger at Michael Jordan and he said, that's enough. He goes, they changed the rules to stop me. They changed the rules to help you. And Wilt stormed out of the room. He had had enough, which uh, sort of goes to his, he never got the, the respect he thought he was due. Um, I'm not sure if that, that's true. I mean, it's really tough to find people that thought Wilt didn't really kick butt. But he uh, he endured a lot. He was a an African-American that left uh, the big city and went to college in Kansas in the 50s. Um, I can't imagine what that would be like. Uh, he, you know, So he was uh, a fish out of water. I'm sure he was uncomfortable at times and probably poorly treated. Um, being a black man in the 60s uh, was probably extremely hard, uh, if not harder than it is now. And Wilt was uh, at the forefront of all of that. He he uh, was uh, not afraid to lend his opinion, so that also probably hurt him uh, in the long run. Not not that his opinion wasn't correct, but uh, you know how media are. They shy away from people that could become controversial, and uh, Wilt Chamberlain was definitely a controversial guy. Um, love him or hate him. Um, he, he also started the pro volleyball tour. He uh, ran marathons. And he competed, and uh, he competed heavily in that. And he did weightlifting. Uh, he famously built a sports car. Uh, he he tried to best everyone at everything. And I encourage everyone to read his autobiography. Um, it's it's very difficult. You have to put it down a few times because you you gotta go take a shower. Uh, Wilt's Wilt's a little much. Wilt loves him some Wilt. Uh, so you know. That's even for for me a big fan. Uh, it was it was a little little much sometimes, little bit much. All right. Well, we're gonna do something a little new here. Uh, we're gonna turn away for a second and uh, take a break and uh, pay some bills. So, here's uh, our sponsor for the day. Raven Maps and Images. Raven Maps have been around for th over thirty years. You've probably seen one of their maps if you lived in Oregon for a very long time, or if you just got here, or if you're a map lover. 
You might have seen one wherever you live. Raven Maps makes large, beautiful wall maps of every U.S. state and the United States, North America, and the world. Recently, we released a line of regional maps, including two that Portlanders might be interested in, the Pacific Northwest and the West Coast. Anyway, to get a look at everything Raven does, down in Medford, Oregon, go to ravenmapsandimages.com. Ravenmaps.com. Thanks a lot. All right. It's really great to have a sponsor. Uh, i got to keep the lights on around here. <laughs> someone someone has to pay for something, I guess. All right. I uh, thought we might uh, move along here. Wilt Chamberlain is great, but we need to uh, get over on to conspiracy for the day. And one thing that, uh, that I think I haven't explained, and some, some people know this, is uh, where my, my relationship with conspiracy came from. And... It started in uh, prob- probably as a little kid when I when I went to the library uh, in grade school. I would always read books about uh, aliens or spacecraft, you know, stories or uh, old old books that I could dig out of the you know something out of the card catalog, go find it, and read some quirky little books. Um, but a- as I got older, uh, you know, I kind of continued doing that. And in the early nineties. X-Files came out and, uh, you know, so that was, that was a big deal. And, uh, I was a big fan of popular science and, uh, you know, they would always do little, little, uh, stories on, uh, thing, you know, things like spacecraft or advanced spacecraft or advanced military craft. And so, uh, as the story goes in 1992, I came home from school and I walked into my parents' house and there was a man in a trench coat asleep on my couch or my parents couch and he woke up and he looked at me and he said oh you must be Patrick and I said yeah I am and my brother walked in and he goes oh you're 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 Nathan that's my brother and uh, this guy's name was Stuart Brown and he was a writer for popular science and he was actually there to do uh, an article on my parents business and he uh, was was taking a nap and so he surprised we surprised him and we were you know, he was surprised to see us, I guess. And uh, we sat down, and as the, as the story goes, Stuart had recently done an article on the stealth fighter, and he let us know that his phones had been tapped, which, you know, uh, as a 13, 14-year-old, I thought was awesome. Uh, he, uh, Someone was checking in on him to see where, what and who and where his sources might be, and that was pretty intriguing. And uh, Stuart... Uh, went on to explain that he had a project coming up, which uh, yeah, he eventually did. He uh, went to Nevada, and he snuck into, uh, I guess now you can't even get to where Stuart was, but he went to Area 51 to uh, see what was going on, to look for UFOs, unidentified flying objects. And he went with a man named Bruce Campbell, I believe, or Glenn Campbell. I don't remember anymore. Uh, he was part of a, a group that tracked the aircraft coming in and out of there. Um, anyhow, Stuart um, uh, went on later to learn that he uh, had he had gone out there. He was there in the middle of the night, and he pulled out his night scope and looked across the valley. And looking back at him were two sets of eyes, also with night scopes, looking back at him. And those were the, the federal troops or the government troops, the base security um and they knew they had to get out of there so they were chased out of there 
And later on, I went, I saw Stuart talk about this on a few shows on the Discovery Channel. Um, I think they ran some of his interviews on some of the History Channel shows. And uh, Stuart was a complete skeptic. He wasn't thinking that E.T. was there. And, you know, most likely it's uh, uh, some sort of uh, secret program or advanced aerial program, uh, maybe drone technology. Who, who knows? It could be, could be anything. So that's... That's where my my love came in, and later on, Stuart even wrote a book about that and sent me a copy, and uh, I I was I was always intrigued with it. And so during that time that period of time, a friend of mine we had a project we had to do in high school, and so a friend of mine who was uh, like minded, he he was into the subject. He uh, headed off to Area Fifty One himself, and so he drove there with a with a friend another friend and uh, went to check it out and it didn't really run into any trouble but went to the little alien that's uh, that little restaurant you can go get there and get you know burger fries sort of deal and it's on the edge of the base and that's where the the famous mailbox is which people associate with area 51 but it's actually just some rancher's mailbox and he's always having to replace it because everybody's messing with it <laughs> so um yeah that's where uh all of the love for conspiracy came from. Um, it's just uh, one of those fun things. And I didn't, you know, it's it's also turns out, um, uh, as we discussed, it's a little freaky. Uh, some people take it a little too seriously. Um, not sure how that how that happens um, or why it happens, but we'll we'll get to the bottom of it on a, on a future a future episode. Um, let's see one. One thing, since we're not really going to talk about uh, too much else with conspiracy today, or n nothing new, is I thought I'd share a few things that I like. And one thing that I've been uh, liking a lot lately is Pluto TV. Uh, it's an app, and I love free TV apps. And so this is set up like your old old style, uh, you know, '80s cable, and uh, there, it's got this nice nice scroll of channels. Um, you know, there's movies and uh, funny, quirky things with you know, like animal channels, cooking channels, news. Um, they do have sports, but it's just big sky division sports. So, you know, Montana, Portland State, uh, that sort of thing. But it's a really cool app. And uh, if you, you know, I guess if you had free Wi-Fi, it'd be completely free. But they, they have pretty good programming. It started out as just uh, sort of streaming um uh, spliced together YouTube channels so that it was just sort of a seamless uh, you know they had like-minded programming on different groupings of channels they'd have an action channel or like a car channel um, and it was interesting but it was it was barely watchable but uh, now it's it's a real platform it's I would say it, it could it could rival some of the other some of the other streaming services, uh, especially considering you're not paying for anything and it's just on and it had, there's plenty of good content. I mean, uh, things like CBS and NBC news are on there. Most of the sports is terrible. It's uh, fighting or, uh, sports from years ago. Uh, th uh, there, there are, there are some comedy channels that are pretty good. Um, you know, there are music channels. So, it's it's fun uh, and like I said I'm kind of into this there was another one for a while Tubi TV but we, you know, we'll talk about that some other time the the Pluto TV I actually got to speak to it, the creator or the guy that sort of runs it now I ran into him on Twitter uh, just late night uh, tweeting about 
awesome things on Pluto TV. I was actually trying to win a t-shirt, I think. And, uh, uh, the guy chimed in and, uh, I checked him out and he was the, the head of the head of Pluto. And so it's just this dude down in Southern California, or it was at the time and uh, pretty, pretty cool stuff. So, um, Hopefully in the future they'll get some some better sports. I was hoping for something like minor league baseball or um, minor league hockey, anything, anything uh, live. I kind of like to check out. So it was just something I like. Thought I'd share it with everybody out there. And uh, hey, you know maybe maybe they could even get into some racing on there. Which brings us to probably the best part of the show is the fact that we got a little bit of open wheel news to talk about uh, coming up. Of course, is the uh, Daytona, the 24-hour Daytona, and uh, that starts on Saturday at 2 p.m. and it's uh, gonna be pretty. It's going to be pretty exciting this year. Um, plenty of entries, 56 entries. Looks like the weather's going to be good, and even if it isn't, uh, racing at night in the rain is even even better, especially on a boring track like Daytona. But uh, I'll take I'll take whatever I can get. I'm glad endurance racing is back. Um, it's been a long winter, so you know, good for that. Also, in open wheel news, uh, IndyCar has uh, another little announcement. There was a multi-year deal between uh, Sebastian Bourdais, who is a driver, with Dale Coyne and Vassar Sullivan. They have a technical alliance where they're basically what that means is they're all sharing the bill, and they're they're paying a few more engineers to come on board because they have a they have a short window here before Bourdais uh, ages out um, and they think they got a shot at uh, either a high finish or you know an outside shot at a championship which they don't but it would be awesome if they did uh, Sebastian Bourdais is a pretty pretty good driver and uh, I like well I like watching him I like watching him wheel around he he's one of the best at passing and he takes some pretty big chances uh, he's also been around for a long time so that's I like that I like the guys that have survived through the the different eras. Um, one thing that I I did notice is I had a comment from a listener who wanted to know possibly if I could describe the difference between Formula One and IndyCar, and uh, we will do that. I haven't really gotten into Formula One yet. Um, I'm uh, I'm still a little sore about Kimi Raikkonen losing his Ferrari seat, um, although he did move to Sauber. Uh, I'd not. I'm not totally okay with that, um, but to uh, give you just a, a brief, brief different, a brief little, uh, I guess, uh, comment on it. IndyCar, a top IndyCar will cost you six to ten million per car to run. So the Penskes, the Ganassis, the big teams, at the Andrettis, they're paying between six and eight million, maybe up to ten, um, and they they machine as many of their own parts as they're allowed to. They probably ha- uh, not probably those teams have their own wind tunnels and or access to wind tunnels whenever they want. The smaller teams don't. They either have to pay for it or they have to sort of skimp and maybe not use off season wind tunnel to uh, check the arrow. So uh, it's you know it's a big deal. These. Uh, these moves by these teams can can alter their season. They can, uh, you know, they they can uh, make or break your bank. So in Formula One, 
everything is homegrown. Uh, you, you machine your own parts or you buy parts from a team. So Ferrari, for, for instance, makes Ferrari engines, and then they also sell engines to uh, Haas, which is an American team, and a few other teams. And the, the cost difference is where it gets you. Ferrari spends $600 million a year uh, for their two cars. And it, so they pay more for their two cars than the entire IndyCar series does for over like a three-year period for everything. And I actually heard a rumor recently, ooh, excuse me, recently that Mercedes spent more on their hospitality tents their, uh, for their celebrities at all the races than the entire IndyCar paddock costs to run. So, I, you know, Formula One, it's, uh, it's just a whole different animal. And uh, like I said, we'll get into that, into that at another time. Um, I'd love to talk Formula One, and we'll get into some of my favorite favorite race car drivers there. Um, Got to stay up late at night to watch that stuff. Uh, you know, they race all over the planet. They aren't uh, they aren't a North American series. All right. Well, want to thank everybody for listening. It was a pretty good show. My cat Hana has got one eye on me. She's laying there asleep. Well, maybe asleep, just watching me. Uh, hope everybody out there is enjoying the show. Go ahead and write in or throw me your comments. I uh, want to thank everyone for listening. And uh, Lob City, never had anything on Peyton DeKemp. Rain Man forever. Be safe, everybody. Have a great day.